Hello and welcome to the Worthplace podcast. In this series, we jump into the world of doubt and worth, bringing in expert views and powerful storytelling to help you towards a journey of absolute worth. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by top UK hair educator, colourist and social influencer, Paul Callahan. Not only is Paul one of the industry's leading creative artists, he's an artist that speaks up about inequality and misrepresentation. Unapologetically passionate about social and political injustice, he's been a leading voice on toxic beauty culture, challenging the gaps within education and championing diversity and inclusion. Today, I want to surface his endless energy, elicit practical tips and hints, and help anyone feeling unworthy in the workplace towards a life of happiness and fulfillment. Paul, hello and welcome to The Workplace. Hello, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you on to chat because I just know how real you are on social media. So I think we're all in for a really good conversation today. Um, Well, I'm really curious just to learn a little bit more about how you got into the hair industry to start with um, and what it was like for you starting out. Because I know you speak an awful lot about just what it means to work in a place where you feel respected and valued. So tell us all a little bit more. Firstly, just go way back how you started out into the industry. Okay, so I was definitely one of those kids in high school who didn't have a clue what they wanted to do for the rest of their life. Um, And I feel like the amount of pressure that's put on kids in school to go to uni and college and be a part of the kind of academic life it just wasn't for me at all. Um, I was I loved art in school, so I was very creative in school, but I had no idea what how to channel that creativity. Um, and it was actually a hairdresser who I used to go to for my hair um, who told me that she thought I would be a good hairdresser. So I was like, okay. And I went and started looking for jobs and applying for salons, um, a few of which didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and went to college and just fell in love with it and colour definitely became like a passion of mine because it was it was me able to channel my creativity about like I love art I love drawing I love sketching mm-hmm. and I feel like it, like hair became the canvas so yeah there's no big story about like a, a lineage of hairdressers in the family it's it's only me and it really wasn't something that I even considered going into when I was 16 years old that's kind of it. It wasn't, it wasn't a big like life ambition or a goal. Yeah. It's so interesting what you said. It really resonated with me. I think as kids were told to, to say one thing you want to be when you grow up, just pick one. And then when you're in school, it's like your careers officer will say, what is it you're going to study? Like what one topic? So we're limiting ourselves really, really early on. It's interesting that you picked up on that. I, I just want to cast back a little bit to when you started out give us a bit of a picture about what it was like being that young 16 year old 
what was the culture like? What was the vibe? How was the experience for you? For sure. So um, I will not name any salons because I don't think that will go down too well. But <laughs> there was a really, really big salon in town. And I went for an interview through the college because you apply for college and they find a placement for you. Um, and this salon was a very well-known salon. And within the first hour, I just knew that it wasn't going to be a right fit. Um, and that was me at 16, and I just felt so uncomfortable. They changed my name. Um, so my name was Jeff. I'm not even kidding. My name was Whoa. Jeff because that was one of the, the stylist boyfriend's names. Like, I can, I can remember the interview, and I remember being you know, 16 years old, just fresh out of school, having really no idea what the hell I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Um, thought hairdressing was a good idea. Um, and honestly, that salon could have, I might not be here today if that salon, if I allowed that salon to put me off doing hair because it was so toxic from the moment I stepped into the door. Um, so yeah, I was in the interview. There was another stylist called Paul um, and that just wasn't allowed. You can't have two people with the same name in a salon. That is that is the way it is. That is the old school. Oh my goodness! Is what you're describing would you say typical across yes. the UK? So this yes. wasn't just this place. Nope. This is this is known, and this is what salons do. Like this is a known thing. It's yeah. insane. Imagine changing your identity, changing your whole name. <laughs> But then, but it was so funny because then I would get into trouble for not answering to Jeff. <laughs> no <laughs> wonder. Yeah, you went through sixteen years of your life being called Paul by everyone, and then all of a sudden your name's fucking Jeff. Do you know? And it's like, you okay? okay, if you are going to do this because there's a no double name rule, at least let me pick something and I'll go for <laughs> it. Like alter ego. Exactly. <laughs> Don't shout a guy in who I have never met before who I am 16 years old and feeling super nervous and uncomfortable and full of self-doubt to come in and name me. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. I mean, that's that sounds like the ultimate um, the ultimate quest to make you feel really undervalued. Yep. It doesn't feel like that creativity would have been allowed to flourish or were you able to express yourself? Oh, no. Like, that that's the thing. It's so bizarre to me that, like, we are a creative industry, but some salons, and I mean, not talking for every salon, because there are some salons out there that, like, embrace individuality and inclusion and all that stuff, but the majority don't. <laughs> and that seems bizarre to me that it's a creative field. I understand now you are an independent artist and you work on your own, you've got your own place. But it's took a lot of, like, sweat tears tantrums arguments leaving toxic environments to get where I am today and I couldn't be happier with am today to be honest that's great well that's a great thing to hear that you're not still in that environment I do want to tap into that so you'd mentioned this clique toxic type culture now I'm not a hairdresser I don't need to be part of the beauty industry to have made a bit of an assumption that it wouldn't have been the most harmonious type of industry to get into. I think that's the general feeling that most people are aware of, which is really unfortunate. We can't have a bad name. Mm. <laughs> and I really wish we didn't. <laughs> but it's 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 the facts, it's true. 
Like there's there's tons of bullying that goes on. There's a lot of ego involved in the hairdressing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, the beauty sector is full of egos, like really big egos. Um, you know, I think creative people like if it's our art form, we are so sensitive about critique. Mm. So the easiest way to bring someone down that you work with is to tell them that their work isn't good enough. And that's what better jealous other hairdressers do to other hairdressers. And this is this is a culture. I see it every single day. I mean, I'm independent now and I work alone. So there's no one really there to judge my work except for myself and my clients. But, you know, there's there's online now, like all these hair forums, mm-hmm. the hairdressers posting pictures of other hairdressers' work and slating them. So not only are we like being, you know, bitchy assholes in the salon, we're also being bitchy online it's like bitchiness on a global platform sure so that everything's accessible and everybody can have an opinion on something now yep. Mm. yep i find i find that um judgment culture really interesting it's almost like when we go back to your pop idol your x factor that type of judging panel that we've become so accustomed to in the UK, spending our weekends with families, watching people bomb or people flourish and being really, really quick to judge. And then when you start to see some of that stuff appearing on TikTok and other social media platforms where everybody's fair game for, Uh I have an opinion and I'll let you know it. But actually, how damaging can that be when your work and how you live and who you are has been put under the microscope um i've seen hairdressers quitting because of being attacked online by other hairdressers mm. i've seen people put down their shears and walk out of salons because they're being bullied by you know a group of bitchy hairdressers which is just the facts yeah and it's it's not good what do you think needs to happen so i'm just jumping right into a solution just yeah. now but what are the things that that would help this not be the case in this industry? I think it has to start with the hierarchy. Um, Unfortunately, we hold people with massive egos and don't get me wrong, they're incredibly talented, but they're also incredibly problematic because they think they are the best and they can't be told. And these are the people that are like leading the industry right now. Um, There was a huge scandal that happened actually during lockdown um, where a very prominent salon in London um, all of our staff came out and said that they were bullied and they're left with PTSD. Um, you know, like there's been homophobic slurs, racial slurs used, like tons and tons of problematic stuff. But this person sits at the top of one of the biggest companies in the world and is a celebrated influencer in social media. And she has a cult following and her education sells out consistently but it's, it's came out that she's a bad person. So what we have to do is we have to like stop idolizing false idols. Mm-hmm. If someone has to throw it down your throat consistently that they are inclusive, that they are the best, that they are this, that their education is the best, and it's all smoke and mirrors. So we have to start at the top. Mm-hmm. And we have to get the people at the top to actually start being nicer people. And it's insane to me. I'm like, that. you're no different than anyone else. Okay, you've got a building. That's all you've got. Mm-hmm. You can still be a good person and, you know, what you put out there is what your staff is going to be like. If you're walking about like an egomaniac and you're nasty and you're talking down to people, your staff are going to repeat the same patterns of behaviour and that will trickle down to the assistant so then the assistant gets it in the neck. 
So if you're being role modeled that type of behavior, of course, you'll pick some of that up because you'll go, this is what it takes to thrive in yep. this type of environment. Yep. What do you think's driving this ego self-importance? If someone gets 100K of a following, of course you have a, an inflated self, self-worth. Of course you do. Because you're like, oh, people are really interested in what I have to say. Mm. And then if people are kind of like engaging in your behavior and like, you know, like applauding your behavior online, th- that makes you feel like you're doing something right when maybe you're not. For sure. It's that sort of reward nature, that dopamine that we get. Uh-huh. We normally get it through other things, but we're starting to get it through really artificial, virtual rewards like a like or a comment or as you say the amount of people that follow you and that is what we're equating to success as opposed to how great a human being am I that doesn't seem to be rewarded anywhere in the mix what would you say about those young people that are thinking about getting into the beauty or the hair industry what advice would you give them right now so this is a good one so I would definitely be you have to almost put yourself in the position of the interviewer because what you have to get from a salon is their education. You have to know what their education curriculum looks like within the salon. When I was in college, we didn't get taught how to do textured hair at all. Um, The college lecturers actually said that there wasn't enough diversity within the community. Um, For me, that's accepting half an education. So if I could go back in time to my younger self, I would demand full education because that's what the government's paying for so if I can give advice to any young person is just stand up for yourself and fight for what you want but you also have to be passionate about about hair but I want to learn a little bit more about you because you do fascinate me and how passionate you are um at the workplace we are discussing an awful lot about traumas that happen throughout our lives and how those traumas can manifest into this sense of not feeling good enough and living in a world of doubt and uncertainty. I describe them as developing worth wounds that can really saturate your self-esteem. I wonder, has there been moments in your life that you've really struggled feeling not worthy enough? Uh, My whole life. (laughs) <laughs> why don't we start there okay no. <laughs> no, definitely from childhood like childhood has a huge part in all of this and it's something that I've been really looking into recently about childhood trauma and you know childhood trauma isn't even about like if you were like really badly abused or beaten it can be really subtle things like control from a parent or you know a parent who can't control their own emotions like all of these little things can lead you to be the person you're going to become as an adult. Um, but I'm definitely like 100% certifiable, like a people pleaser to the core. And it has not served me well all these years, to be honest. Um, and it's only, it's actually been during the pandemic that I have realized this about myself and kind of actively took the steps to try and change it and learn the power of saying no. And, you know, in, and that even trickles right down to my business because. I couldn't say no to anyone. So there was days where I was working from like nine o'clock in the morning or eight o'clock in the morning till like 10 o'clock at night. That's not okay because my body was exhausted. The pandemic kind of gave me, well, the lockdown kind of gave me a, a chance to like reset and reset my mental health. And 
you know, really get involved with things that I've been passionate about for a fucking long time that I've actually just, you know, people pleased my way through life as well. Like, like it being ignorant to things and like not trying to stir the pot or being scared to speak my mind. My mum left my dad when I was a baby and he was very, very domestically abusive. And there was always an element of fear in my heart from a very young age that he would come and get me. And this is raw and really, really personal. And I've never really spoken about this before. Um, and I had like the current nightmares and stuff that he was going to come and get me. So I feel like I was traumatized as a child from that situation. Um, and my mum told me the truth when I was like six years old. So I think that was, again, like a re-traumatization. Um, but it also made me kind of people please my mum to death as well, if I'm being honest. Because I was scared of hurting her feelings about anything because I knew what she'd been through. which hasn't really served me well because I've carried that on to like every relationship in my life where I've always felt the need to be the savior or you know to help someone else but then turn around and think well who's helping me no one so definitely had to take some time during lockdown to like reset all that Uh, but then high school as well very very badly bullied I was bullied through primary I was bullied through high school and then I thought finally getting out of high school and going into a trade that I thought was very inclusive because the stereotype is like, you know, gay men are hairdressers. (laughs) And I thought that that would be an inclusive safe space. And it wasn't. So, you know, when you're getting called a poof from across the salon floor um, in front of clients at 16 years old, it doesn't make you feel good. Um, So, yeah, I've had to do a lot of unlearning and a lot of finally being able to stand up for myself at 32 years old. So... I'm finally finding myself coming out of the the past traumas and those wounds are slowly closing now, Mm -hmm. which is good. It it doesn't sound like a great experience in your your schooling either when you described being bullied and then the same thing happened when you started working. What sort of, so we talk an awful lot about labels and limitations at the workplace. What sort of things stuck to you? that you felt about yourself? So did people say things about you that you started to believe? Uh, yeah, I think like everything. Just like, it's not even what I started to believe. It's like every single, like any single bullying situation that I've ever been in has been homophobic. It's been homophobic slurs. And I think it's not about believing that, it's knowing that that was the truth. <laughs> so you know before I came out and stuff like that like constantly getting called gay boy like and shouted like homophobic slurs at me the whole like saga all that kind of stuff which which, by the way I just take the power back so yeah I think deep down I was like well yeah I'm gay (laughs) but you're you're hurting my feelings by calling me it yeah and it's not just it's not just stating that that's the way things are it's the negative narrative yeah that comes with it so it's not just you know I like boys it's you like boys and it's not great and there's all of these slurs that go with it it's not a celebrated thing and when you were describing earlier about being asked about that going into job interviews as well it feels like everybody's judging you and going you're this aren't you yeah, <laughs> without absolutely. you being able to own your story such a young age that must have been really difficult I just feel like one it's no one's business and two that will come out anyway during conversation like when we go to like a bar like if we mingle with the staff that's 
that'll come in time. You don't have to ask someone their sexual preference at a friggin' interview. Like, that's ridiculous. Especially a fucking 16-year-old. There's something mm. wrong with that. Especially when the person's interviewing you is, like, in their 40s and they're a man and they're straight, you know? Mm. Like, it just, it makes things worse, even more so. Yeah. Because you're used, to, you're used to that caliber of person being a dick to you. <laughs> yeah. I, oh. I, I know with myself, so with my sexual identity, it was such a late to the party. I came out and then went straight back in. (laughs) And only really in my mid to late 30s have I celebrated it. Because my view on it was, I'm more than my sexual orientation. I'm more than that. But you're describing that being what people see about you first and foremost. Mm -hmm. That's your identity. That's what you're known for. Um, How much of your sexual identity how important is it to you how prominent is it it's actually not (laughs) (laughs) oh the irony (laughs) no it is actually not that important like I but then again I think I had like internalized homophobia like for myself to be honest like that's something that I've just recently discovered as well I was never one for like let's go to pride let's march the streets let's wave our flags like I was never ever into that and I actually didn't see the point in it (laughs) until recently um and i think that again is the internalized self hate and self-doubt and self and it's it's homophobia it's homophobia for yourself it's like internalized homophobia but i think i'm passionate now about changing changing the gay scene as a whole as well i think there's a lot of changing that has to go on within that mm-hmm. because i think the gay scene does breed internalized homophobia as well yeah. in some in some respects you know it's like, how many times have you been in a gay bar and a gay guy has made a derogatory slur about a lesbian? Mm. A million times. Like, I've heard it a million times. How many times have you been in a gay club where that's the budget? She's <laughs> like, I agree. Um, but how many times have you been in a gay bar? And, and you know, I've seen trans people beating up in, in female toilets and, and gay clubs in Glasgow. Where's the inclusion? Where's the, the freedom? So for me, pride became a huge hypocrisy. Yeah. And I, think I can understand that. You know? Yeah. There's, there is a bit of an assumption that if you are part of a minority group, if you're LGBT+, then you have some sort of elevated status on being all about diversity and inclusion because you've experienced discrimination. But you're describing that's not necessarily the case. I think people can go one way where they really champion all, but they can also go the other way where they go, I've been so suppressed and bullied. I'll now create internal structures to feel powerful and safe. And then everybody else is repeating the pattern below. I used to, um, so being lesbian, in, in the Glasgow scene, as you will know, because we're both from Glasgow, going into a really limited selection of places, which for me is really catered to gay men. So I, I'm having to listen to Kylie. I'm not a Kylie fan. I'm having to listen to <laughs> European pop. But just because I wanted to feel safe or maybe meet somebody, I put up with it. I would rather yep. listen to way cooler music than that. No offence to anyone that's a Kylie fan, but it is catered again to. 
a white guy that's there yes. that you described with the abs that's got his top oh. off on stage and here I am lesbian completely on the opposite end of the spectrum but we're lumped in because we're all LGBT plus yeah. so I think there's definitely something in that that's going it's great to have safe spaces but they need to be truly diverse as well oh babe we need to remember who's making these clubs it's straight white men and there's a, a huge trend when we're working in the the workplace around shame that comes out in shame and guilt um, how much of that was at play when you were growing up all of it and and truck fills load them up like full of, full of shame like I was so I felt I felt shameful I felt like it was um I felt like I was being illegal mm. like I felt like I was committing a crime for even having thoughts so I carry a, a a huge burden of, you know, continuing on the family name or, you know, giving them a grandchild, which isn't going to happen because, one, I don't want kids. and But the, the shame and guilt associated with that is massive. Like, it's humongous, and I feel terrible. And I still feel bad about it because I know that that's something that my mum would want, you know? Is that back to your people-pleasing? Back to people-pleasing. So I feel shame and guilt for something that, you know deep down inside I know that I don't want but do you know what do you know it's actually some someone sent me something um again during lockdown and it was one of my American friends um and she sent me a thing on people pleasing and it was it literally quote verbatim said a people pleaser is essentially a liar (laughs) I don't know about you but I don't like being called a liar (laughs) because I pride myself on being super transparent super honest direct blunt but it was fucking true. Like, it's, it's correct. I felt attacked. But I felt attacked because it hit a nerve because it's actually true. It is, it is the ugly truth. Like, sitting with yourself and really delving deep into your own psyche is terrifying. Like, I tried so much because there's, there's a lot of things about myself that I, don't, I do not like. There's a lot of traits that I find myself being toxic and you know like things that I would do to my partner and stuff like like gaslighting like I, I was famous for that so really like sitting down and understanding what makes me tick and why I'm like this or you know behaviors that I've picked up from parents or you know adult influences when I was a child has led me to you know kind of not like myself a lot of the time so I think it's really important to like sit and actually like analyze yourself and not focus on anyone else but you I want to just move on a little bit because you've been talking that that really relates about this whole idea of imposter syndrome, which is bizarre in itself that we all know what this is, <laughs> but we describe something as a syndrome about ourselves. It's that any minute now someone's going to find me out, they're going to tap me on the shoulder and say, your time's up. What are you doing here? <laughs> you don't belong. So I want to tap into that just a little bit more. Is that something you struggle with? Absolutely. Like, why am I on a stage? Why am I doing an online education event? <laughs> why am I doing a class in a salon? Like, who the hell am I? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, but uh, I think I use, like very stereotypical like coping mechanisms before I do a class or before I go on stage or before I do like a public speaking event or even this like I'm not even kidding like there was a lot of anxiety this morning before coming on this call 
because there is that imposter syndrome of do I even know what I'm talking about but then I'm like no that's all doubt <laughs> that's insane yeah. like I do know what I'm doing I am educated I am passionate I have a lot to say mm-hmm. if it's not going to be me it's going to be someone else so why can't it be me that's just that's what it is and I think we need to separate like major anxiety from you're just feeling a bit nervous I think what you've just described is something that everyone listening may relate to that you know whether it's a job interview or whether you're hosting a meeting or you're meeting somebody or a group of friends whatever it is that Mm. doubt comes in because we want to be liked if we want to be accepted as human animals that's just in our nature to survive we don't want to feel rejected or be rejected from the pack but what I've loved about what you just said is is so true that actually we only have our own experiences and stories that's all we've got lived in experience is it yeah so if you believe that your story's worth being heard then we're already there I think it's just that appreciation that nobody's got this figured out I said this the other day to somebody my you know when I was asked that secret question my secret is I don't have a clue what I'm doing but I don't believe anybody does and (laughs) as soon as you equalize that that nobody here unless you can give me evidence that tells you the meaning of life the true meaning of life (laughs) why we're all here not one of you that's walking around right now really really truly know we've only got our own stories and experiences so why not hear minds like a perfect example of this is like when I was at Salon International and it was my first ever time being on stage and you literally couldn't find me I was off like or backstage getting ready to go on and I was like I can't be here I need to leave and I had to take myself away and I had to look in the mirror in a bathroom in the bloody London XL and tell myself that I can do this and it's going to be okay and if all else fails we're on in the morning so it's not busy so it's fine there might be 10 people there and it's all good um but when I went on stage for example again I had already prepped like half my model's hair and because I was so nervous about speaking, because, again, I think if I can take this back to, like, high school and school, I feel like I have quite an effeminate voice. And that was something that I was really badly bullied for. So for me to be on stage with a microphone, you can imagine the anxiety. Mm. Because all I kept thinking about was these people are just going to be like, he sounds like a woman and he's clearly gay. And that was something that was, like, frightening to me. Um, but anyway. I went on stage, I'd prepped half the model. I was so nervous that I'd finished the model's hair in five minutes and made a 25-minute set. So I just had to keep talking and talking and talking. And luckily I had like a stage, well, I had like a, another stylist on stage. So I just kept asking her questions, you know, to allow her to bounce things back to me. Um, but see, by about the 15-minute mark, I was walking around that stage, engaging with the audience, making eye contact and singling people out in the audience that made me feel comfortable, like familiar faces. So I think that was a really like on the spot technique that I used to like engage with a few eyes and not focus on the hundreds of people that were there. (laughs) 
You were describing some techniques there that I think is really, really great to use, um, like positive affirmations. So you were talking to yourself and telling yourself and whether it's a trick to the mind, it's worth doing until you can rewire the narrative that your voice deserves to be heard. It doesn't matter what it sounds like and what you feel about it. It deserves to be heard. If you say that 10 times over, your brain will start believing that. So there's some tricks that we can try. Um, one of the ones that I use quite a lot because um, because of my body image challenges throughout my life is I'm more than my body. You know, if I'm doing something where I need to be seen or somebody might be judging what I look like or what I'm wearing, I will do that one all morning. I'm more than my body, <laughs> more than my body. Yeah. Um, or I'm safe because this is an artificial environment that we are living in now. I am not a cave woman going out there <laughs> looking for a lion to try and jump up on a tree. I'm not running away. I don't need all of the adrenaline hits that my body is just trying to be so good to me and give me. I don't need all of it. So telling myself I'm safe, I'm safe. This is all artificial. Nothing bad will happen. Again, start telling your brain and it will start to believe it as opposed to all of the things. What if this might happen? I wanted to tap into more of just what you've been talking about today because it's pouring out of you your your belief in equality and the activism that you have. I know that you're a massively passionate social activist. I just want to know a little bit more about where does that come from? And here's a question, why does it matter so much? Oh, oh. <laughs> Because <laughs> oh, you can get heated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, again, you know, it goes back to not having a voice as a child um, and not having a voice as a teenager. You know, definitely getting to this stage in life and really finally accepting my own sexuality. I've had clients that have used, like, you know, the baby said things like, I don't get Black Lives Matter because all lives matter. And my reply to that is usually, so then Black Lives Matter then too. And they've got nothing to say. But it's it takes it back to that. So these uncomfortable conversations that I'm having now with my clients would not be the comfortable would not be the conversations that I would be having with them two years ago. Because I again, people pleaser, would mirror my client. So instead so I would basically blindly agree with anything anyone said because it made them feel happy and special in the moment you know, doing the learning as well, because it's not, uh, anyone can put on their Instagram stories what's going on in the world. Anyone can do that. But unless you're willing to take the time out of your life, which, you know, you're in a very privileged position to do, because one, you've never experienced racial injustice. It's a privilege to be able to learn about racial injustice and not experience it. So I think that was something that was very, like, it resonated with me so much. And I had to sit and, you know, watch documentaries, do, read the articles, like fact check the articles. Like really, I spent a, a lot of time like during lockdown looking at all this. But then that, so Black Lives Matter was definitely the catalyst for me to really start speaking up about everything that's been bothering me for 32 fucking years. Um, and it was like, a, it, it spiraled out of control. Like it was that, and then it was me, and then it was, you know, LGBT plus rights, it was it was women's rights, it was domestic violence, it was everything it was like it was like a an avalanche of injustice that essentially washed over me. And I just couldn't shut up anymore. 
I just couldn't stay quiet. Um, and I think it just, it's, this is a build-up of, you know, 30 years or, well, maybe not 30 years, but, like, you know, since I was able to, like, you know, my, my, my gran basically used to take me to the Orange March every single year. And when I became old enough to make a choice if I wanted to go or not, I said no, because fundamentally I knew that that wasn't a safe environment and it wasn't a good environment for me to be in. And that was when I was, like, eight. You know, so I think I've always had these these really strong belief systems of I don't like injustice. I don't think that, you know, we don't have place for sectarianism anymore. We don't have place for racism. We don't have place for homophobia, sexism. Any ism just needs to go away. And I have a platform. I have a following. And I've never really tapped into that following to spread education or awareness or a message that lines up with my moral fiber. <laughs> there is no turning back at all and I even wrote an article for a magazine um, or an online magazine in America about um, racial division within the beauty school like the segregation in the textbooks and hairdressing is insane like so every single image of a black person had a black stylist every single image of a white person had a white stylist so I was like wow that's why my college lecturer said that there was no diversity in the community because even she hadn't been taught how to do textured hair. And, it, and textured hair is not even like a black issue. Textured, white people can have textured hair. So, so why are we not learning it? So all of these things like just started, like I literally sat down at like 11, 11 p.m. to write this article because I just felt so, like I just had to get this down because the injustice of even our education and lack of diversity in our education as a 16-year-old impressionable child I'm going to say because let's be honest you're an immature you're just an immature teenager um you know seeing that in the textbooks you just automatically assume that black people go to black hairstylists so even like taking it way back to like my own education I was like holy shit what the fuck is going on in the world this is blatant and it's been blatant for you know generations even in 2020 we're still we're still setting aside gender roles we're still, you know, telling boys not to pick up Barbie. We're still telling girls that they can't play with, like, you know, tools, like toy tools, or, or like, uh, name a boy toy, an action man, you know? Like, <laughs> we're still telling little girls, girls that they have to dress in pink. Yeah. We're still telling little boys that it's not okay for you to play with that, like, Playmobil kitchen, you know? Yeah. That's that's the problem. Like, we're still not evolving past the fact that it's it's plastic. It doesn't define you as a person. Mm-hmm. whatever plastic you choose to play with as a five-year-old is not going to have an impact on your entire life or existence because naturally as you get a bit older you'll migrate to the things that you actually like anyway and if that is Barbies when you're 15 and you're a 15 year old boy fine do you know what I mean? what's the problem it's a toy <laughs> isn't it so weird that we are all born completely unique and there'll never be another one of us but from the minute that you're born it's like blue or pink Um, (laughs) pretty princess or a strong boy please align really quickly even though you are an absolute miracle that is so unique somewhere in the mix of that self-discovery people are starting to unpick who am I what am I here for what do I want to be known for what am I leaving behind I would just tell people to just own it just own it sit in it and own it brilliant I love that. Thank you so much. If you've been inspired by today's podcast, please like, please share, please spread the worth. 
and remember you are absolutely worthy of happiness and success so go on and make that first step today Thank you.